I call it the uh, parable of the walnuts. It's not a parable you're going to find in the Bible, but it does illustrate a truth that we see there, a truth that we're going to see in the scripture we're going to study today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 10 times, 10 times in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, you come across this word, grace. That's a word that many of us are familiar with, grace. You know, you forget to pay the premium on your health insurance, and so you panic and call the office, and yet the lady at the office says, relax, don't worry, there's a grace period. You breathe a big sigh of relief. Or the policeman pulls you over for speeding, but he gives you a warning instead of a ticket. And you are so thankful for the grace that he has shown to you. Somebody let you off the hook when you least expected it, and you certainly didn't deserve it. That's what most of us usually think of when we hear that word grace. Not being treated as our sins deserve. And the word grace certainly means that. But there's so much more to it than that, especially as the word grace is used here in the Bible. There's so much more to this word grace. So back to our parable, the parable of the walnuts. The reason why I want to tell you this story today is because it's actually a story of grace. But it's a picture of grace that we don't normally see or think about. But it's the kind of, disgra- uh, kind of grace that you will see displayed here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Wade Hodges is the man who wrote this parable, so I'm just simply passing along what I heard from him. Here's how the story goes. There are three boys, three little boys, and they find this bag of walnuts, a big bag of walnuts, and they're excited because they feel like they've discovered a treasure. But how are they going to split this up and take the treasure home? I mean, they don't want to create any kind of tension or jealousy between the three of them. They don't want to do anything to ruin or spoil this friendship that they enjoy with with each other. So they seek out the wisest man they they know for help. They come to this elderly man and they ask him, would you divide these nuts between the three of us, but divide them in the same way as God would? Now that puts a little twist on things. When you bring God into the picture now, how can anybody argue, complain? I mean, these three little boys think they've come up with a foolproof plan. Here's a sure way to divide this treasure and make sure that we're going to keep everybody happy. We've got the wisest man that we know, and he's now going to distribute these walnuts in the same way as God would. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Well, that's where grace comes in. Grace always takes us by surprise. And the way in which God gives can be very surprising. So back to the story. Here's the wisest man in the village, and he's holding this big bag of walnuts. And he's been asked by these three boys to distribute these nuts in the same way as God would. So that's exactly what he does. He gives the first boy one walnut. He gives the second boy five walnuts, and then he hands the bag to the third boy. He's got all the rest of the nuts, more than 50 walnuts still sitting in that bag. Well, the first two boys don't like this at all, and they begin to complain, say, whoa, wait a minute, this isn't fair. And the wise man said, but you didn't ask me to be fair. You asked me to distribute the walnuts in the same way as God would. The third boy, he's feeling kind of guilty. You know, the one that has all the rest of the walnuts. Why, why did you give me so much more than, than the others? And the wise man says, you're asking the wrong question. And the third boy says, but I agree with my two friends. Uh, this isn't fair. Why should I have so much than what they do? And the wise man says, oh, why are you complaining? You're the one with all the walnuts. And so the wise man turns around and he begins to walk away. And that's when the third boy yells out to him. He says, but what am I supposed to do with all of the walnuts? And that's when the wise man turns around and says, now you're asking the right question. And that's the kind of question the Bible's trying to answer here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. What am I supposed to do with the grace that God has given to me? Understand something. We don't all have the same, and we never will. 
Some have much and some have little, but God did not put us here to compare. I mean, if we just focus on what's different between us, hey, you've got something I don't. Or you've got so much more than what I do. If we focus on our differences, we're going to get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. It's going to create a, dis- a distance between us and a distance between us and God. No, we've got to recognize what God gave to you is not what he gave to me and vice versa. So we're not here to compare and we're not here to compete. The reason why God put each one of us here is so we could make a contribution. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, what? has God given to me, whether it's something much or something little? What has God given to me, and now how am I going to use it to help and bless others? Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, David, what has all this got to do with grace? Well, the word grace just simply means gift. Think about the gifts that have been given to us from God, a beating heart, a functioning brain. Every day we have air to breathe and food to to eat and water to drink. We have the ability to read a book, to drive a car, to tie a shoe for one of our grandchildren. You think about the influence that God has given to each one of us. Every one of us here has some kind of influence over somebody else. Children, friends, neighbors, the people we work with, the people who follow us on social media. So whether it's one person or a thousand, every one of us here has somebody in our life right now who's looking to us, looking to us for advice or looking to us for help or looking to us to be an example. But what are we doing with that influence? So grace, number one, it's the gifts that God gives to us. But secondly, and what we're going to see here in 2 Corinthians, grace is also the doors that God opens up, the opportunities he presents to us each and every day to be able to use those gifts for the benefit of others. And the way God provides those opportunities can be very surprising. Let me give you an example. It's a modern-day example, and it's very similar to the example we're going to see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. True story. young lady and her fiancé, They come down to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston. They're making arrangements for their wedding reception. I mean, they're getting married, and they're real excited about all this, and they want this wedding banquet to be something elegant and fancy. They want nothing but the best. I mean, both of them have very expensive taste. So they pick out the china and the silver and the flower arrangements and a fabulous array of food for their menu. They want this wedding banquet to be the party to top all parties. The bill for this party is more than $40,000. They never blink. They immediately write out a check for half the amount to serve as a down payment, and they head back home. Two weeks later, on the very day when they're supposed to be mailing out the wedding announcements, the groom gets cold feet. He pulls out of the relationship. He calls off the wedding. And, and of course, the young lady's just devastated by this. Hurt and angry, she heads back to the Hyatt Hotel to cancel the banquet. Well, that's when she gets more bad news. There's no refund. Contract's binding. You've only got two options here. You either forfeit the down payment or you go ahead with the party. So in the midst of all this heartbreak, when you're thinking to yourself, what more could go wrong for this young lady, this young lady chooses to do something surprising. She decides to show some grace. Here's why. Ten years earlier, she'd been living on the streets, homeless and unemployed. But then she experienced some grace. A door opened up. She got a good job. She got back on her feet again. And over the years, she very carefully set aside a pretty sizable nest egg. So thinking about where she's been and where she is now, she decides she's going to share her good fortune with others. So rather than cancel this wedding reception and just see all that money wasted and thrown away, she decides to go ahead with a party. But here's the surprise. Rather than invite her family and her friends, she sends out the invitation to the rescue missions and the homeless shelters there in downtown Boston. And she invites all the down and out to come to a party like they have never experienced before. Now, the young lady makes one change in the arrangements. It's a change in the menu. 
Instead of the steak that the Hyatt Hotel was going to serve for this party, the young lady asked that instead they served boneless chicken in honor of the groom who walked out on her. <laughs> so, June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston puts on a party like people have never seen before. I mean, here's all these beggars, beggars and derelicts, all the bag ladies and the drifters now sipping on champagne and eating this expensive chocolate wedding cake and eating the finest of hors d'oeuvres served to them by these guys dressed in these fancy tuxedos. And then after they finish this fabulous meal, they get up and they begin to dance and they dance for the rest of the night to the music played by this professional band. That's... Grace is using what you have to make things better for others and doing that even when we ourselves are going through hard times. That's the kind of grace we see here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at this with me. Verse 1 says, Now, brothers and sisters, uh, we want you to know about the grace that God has given. And the grace he's talking about are the doors he opens, the opportunities that God is going to present to this special group or this group of Christians so they can now do something special for somebody else. And this particular group of Christians that are going to have this unique opportunity to, to provide a blessing for others, it's these Macedonian churches. So we're talking about the churches in the northern part of the land of Greece. Back in the first century, the northern part, that region, the northern part of Greece was referred to as Macedonia. So we're talking about the churches that we read about in the book of Acts, like Acts chapter 16, the Bereans. You remember the Bereans, every time they heard the Apostle Paul preach or teach, they'd immediately go home and open up their Bibles to make sure everything he was telling them about Jesus was true and accurate. Hey, how does all that line up with these Old Testament prophecies? And the Apostle Paul wrote some letters to some of these uh, Macedonian churches like the letter of the Philippians and the letter, the two letters to Thessalonians, that's the people we're talking about. And the reason why Paul mentions these believers here in Macedonia is because for the past five years, somewhere around 52 to 57 AD, he's been traveling around the world. He's on his third missionary journey. And one of the things he's doing is he's traveling around the world. He's been taking up a collection for the, for the Christians, the believers back there in the city of Jerusalem. There's a severe famine going on in the land of Israel, and that's making life really rough for everybody. But beyond that, also the Christians back in Jerusalem are being persecuted. Many of them have lost jobs, and, and they're not being hired by anybody else be, simply because of this decision they made to follow Jesus. So the Christians back there in Jerusalem are just really taking it on the chin. So at the very moment the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, here he is trying to raise money for these believers back in Jerusalem. He wants to help these people who are struggling and suffering. But the one place he never really expected to take up an offering where he really thought, oh, I'm not even going to bother to ask where were these believers up here in Macedonia because they too are suffering. They too at this moment are poor and being persecuted. I can't ask them. And yet when the people in Berea and Philippi and Thessalonica, when they hear about this project that Paul's, you know, this collection that he's taken up, when they hear about it, they say, hey, we want to be a part of this too. We want to give. In fact, the Bible says here they were eager to give. Notice what it says, verse 2. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial. And the kind of language Paul's using here, he's talking about the kind of trouble that just literally squeezes the life out of you. Like somebody squeezing an orange. That's the kind of trouble the Macedonians are going through right now. And yet in the midst of all this heartache, in the midst of all this hardship, they're overflowing with joy. They're excited about this opportunity they have to now share with others. So in the midst of a very severe trial, they're overflowing joy, they're extreme poverty, yet all of this wells up in this rich generosity. For Paul says, verse 3, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And they're doing this entirely on their own. 
Not because Paul pressured them, not because he's twisting their arm. No, they're the ones that took the initiative. They're the ones that volunteered entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, the honor of being able to share in this ministry of the Lord's people. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Years ago, I went on a mission trip down to Brazil. I'm sorry. Uh, went on a mission trip. Back, this is way back in the early 1990s. Went on a mission trip to Brazil. I went with some professors from a Bible college in Florida. And we were going down there to help some of the young preachers. We were not expecting to be helped. <laughs> One day, we're there in the central part of Brazil, in and around the city of Goiana, and there's this young man by the name of Aristegis. He was one of the native Brazilian preachers. And through a translator, he invited us to come to his home for a meal. Now, he didn't speak any English, only Portuguese. And we didn't speak any Portuguese, only English. And I'm thinking to myself, how, how is this going to work? We get to his home that day, and it's just a tiny shack. I mean, just, just small. Only two rooms, nothing but a dirt floor. And in that house, there's only two pieces of furniture, a small bench, just big enough for myself and the two professors to sit on and a table, and that was it. And that day, even though he's speaking Portuguese, we could kind of understand Aristides is trying to apologize to his tears in his eyes, and, and he's, he's apologizing because they'd run out of food. They literally had no food to share with us. The cupboards were bare. So they gave us what they had, the last of their coffee, this genuine Brazilian coffee. So as we sit on the bench, Aristides, his wife, and his children are standing. We're sitting on the bench, sipping the coffee as they stand there, and they watch us. And yet as they're standing there and watching, they got these, every one of them, they got this big smile on their face. Not a frown. I mean, they're just thrilled. They had this opportunity to take what they had and serve it to us. In fact, while we're sitting there on the bench, sipping on the coffee, Aristides picks up a guitar, and he and his family begin to sing for us. And even though they're singing in Portuguese, we can recognize some of the tunes, some of the hymns that they're singing. So while they're singing in Portuguese, we begin to sing in English. And the fellowship that we enjoyed with each other at that moment, so special. I mean, the grace, the joy that everybody experienced in that home at that moment, it's beyond what words could describe. That's the kind of joy that we're talking about here. So where does that joy come from? Well, the answer is found in verse 5. It says, and they, the Macedonians, they exceeded our expectations. And here's why. Because first of all, as a matter of first priority, every day, they gave themselves to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. Do you remember how Jesus explained this? John chapter 15. What does it mean to give yourself to the Lord? What does it mean to be united to him? He explained in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. What's the role of the branch? You remember, you've heard Rob talk about this before. What's the role of the branch? To bear fruit? No, 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 no. Only the vine can produce the grapes. The role of the branch is simply remain attached to the vine. As the branch remains in the vine, as the branch remains connected to the vine, that's when the fruit begins to appear. Now, you take that from the world of trees and branches, and you bring it to the world of people, and you'll find the same concept here. When a husband and wife produce fruit, when a husband and wife produce a child, how does that come about? By concentrating on the fruit? No. In, when a husband and wife come together in that most private, that most sacred, that most intimate of all bonding that is possible between two human beings, in that moment, a new life is conceived. But in that moment, when that new life is being created, are the husband and wife thinking about the child? No. They're only thinking about each other. 
in that moment of pure joy, in that moment of absolute rapture, in that moment when the husband and wife are just totally lost in their love for each other, out of that wonderful moment of intimacy, a new life is created. Well, what's true for physical fruit is also true for spiritual fruit. You can't just grit your teeth and say, I need to be more patient, or I need to be more kind and thoughtful, or I need to be more generous. And then think, because of all your effort, because of your determination, now suddenly, magically, automatically, all this virtue is going to begin to appear in your life? No. The fruit of the Spirit is something only God can produce. And how does He produce it? When we stay attached to Him. When just like the Thessalonians, every day... We just give ourselves to the Lord. We stay engaged with Him in a real, meaningful, personal way. And out of that union with the Lord, then God begins to produce something very special through your life and mine. So, what do we learn from this? From these five verses, I, I, I learned three lessons. Number one, because of God's grace, everybody has something to give. You may not have as much as somebody else, but that doesn't matter. What matters is this, everybody here has something to give. You know, if the Macedonians were here today and they were visiting with us, they'd say, hey, life's tough, we get that. And the budget can be really tight, we understand that too. But what about those baby clothes that you keep stored away in the closet? Or what about that old computer that you don't use anymore? Or what about those two extra toasters you got as a wedding gift? Don't you think somebody else could use one of those toasters? In other words, our abundance is not always going to be found in our pocketbook. Sometimes our abundance is found in the closet or the basement or the garage. And then you think about not just the things that we can give away. You think about the things that we could loan to others. you got a garage full of tools. you got a cabin sitting in the woods that you rarely use anymore. you got a car, an extra car that you hardly ever drive. If you're not going to put it to use, don't you think somebody else could put it to use? In other words... Every one of us here has so much more than what we realize. Everybody has something to give. Secondly, because of God's grace, there are always going to be opportunities to share that grace with others. And again, it may not be something big. You, you may never write a book. You may never be elected to a public office. You may never dine with the queen and have a chance to witness to the royal family. But know this. Every day, God's going to open doors and give you an opportunity to help somebody else. Maybe it's driving an elderly neighbor to the grocery. Maybe it's visiting a relative in the nursing home. Maybe it's just simply writing a note, a note of encouragement to that grandchild of yours that, that's struggling in school. Or maybe just simply sharing a meal with a friend who just got back home from the hospital. But get this, because of what you do and because of the way in which you do it, like these Macedonians, when you give, you give cheerfully, you give with joy, and now they're able to see the love you have for the Lord. They're able to see how your attachment to Him is making a difference in your life. So because of God's grace, everyone has something to give. Secondly, because of God's grace, there's always going to be opportunities to share that grace with others. And number three, because of God's grace, our inspiration for giving always comes from Jesus. Notice verse 9. It says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he did for us. That though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Let me explain it this way. Uh, I want you to use your imagination and, and think of four pictures. And underneath every one of these pictures is the word beautiful. And yet, as you look at each one of these four pictures, you're thinking to yourself, beautiful. What's beautiful about that? How do you call that beautiful? Here's what I mean. The first picture is a picture of Mother Teresa. 
Do you remember her? Not a pretty woman, not physically attractive, old, weathered face. And yet behind that old, weathered face, every day there was just this radiance shining from her heart. And now we begin to understand that word beautiful. We're talking about a beauty that goes way beyond the physical. When you think about the years, the sacrificial love that Mother Teresa showed for the poor there in India, day in, day out, not only what she gave, but the way in which she gave it. When we look at Mother Teresa and the ministry she was carrying out, we realize we were witnessing something beautiful. Here's the second picture. It's a picture of a casket with a flag draped over it. We see six firemen carrying the coffin, each one of them a comrade to the man who died. The man who literally laid down his life as he was fighting that fire, he literally laid down his life to save the lives of others. So in one sense, it's a sad moment, and yet at the same time, it's also beautiful. Because we realize here's something noble, profoundly noble, the kind of nobility that inspires everybody who's watching, because we realize this man didn't just die, he died serving others. So as we watch the scene again, we realize we are witnessing something beautiful. Here's the third picture. It's a picture of a husband and wife. They're sitting on a bench in the park, very elderly, way up there in their years, and neither one can walk without a cane. And yet, as we're standing off at a distance and watching them, we notice they're holding hands. They're smiling at each other. They got this playful look in their eyes. And we know here's a love that goes far beyond anything you could ever find in a fairy tale. Here's a love that is real. In fact, we realize... As we see this scene, here's a beauty that words cannot describe. This is the kind of beauty you have to see it in order to know it. Then we come to the fourth picture, and it's the most important picture of all because this is the one that explains the other three. In the fourth picture, we see the picture of a cross. Back in the first century, it was the ugliest, most inhumane, most gruesome way that a human being can die. And yet here in this ugly setting, we see God at work. God putting his beauty on display. And that's why underneath this picture, we don't just find the word beautiful. We also find this verse, 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's why every day in every possible way, we're looking for opportunities to give. Because when we give and share with others, we're giving other people the opportunity to catch a glimpse of the beauty of God. We're giving them a chance to see what his love is really like. Let's pray. God, you're so gracious and so merciful. Thank you for not treating us as our sins deserve. Thank you, God, for the special and the amazing ways every day that you display your love for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare for offering.